You are tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and cannabis curious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Wednesday, June 8th, 2022. This is episode number 297. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, aka Nanogram. If you are listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 31,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today, we're talking about cops smashing a huge drug syndicate, D.C. lawmakers passing a bill that bans firing employees for failed cannabis tests, U.S. mayors demanding that Congress fix the banking issue, Ukraine speeding up legalization because of war PTSD, if you're high, your love life might not be as great as you think, the Connecticut governor's race is getting super spicy over cannabis, and many other frosty nuggets, so stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Your discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed second dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads find him on tedx or at one of his cannavision events but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the state of cannabis news hour what have you got today rico yeah big shout out to nick cannon <laughs> my headline comes from uh, hannah sparks of the new york post and it was originally pulled from the peer-reviewed scientific publication eurekaalert.org if you're high your love life might not be as great as you think You might want to think twice about sparking up mid-argument the next time you and your partner are experiencing a little relational turbulence. It sure looks like the age-old stoner relationship preservation tactic of getting high as fuck to chill your ass out before doing, saying, or remembering anything regrettable is under attack by the elitist college-educated science community that clearly doesn't get it. A joint peer-reviewed study conducted by Rutgers University and Mount Holyoke College was published Monday in the Journal of Drug and Alcohol Dependence, revealing new disturbing data and, I think, confirming what my wife has been trying to tell me for over a decade now. Uh, Nobody knows what the fuck you're talking about when you get into arguments stoned, and the satisfying resolution you and your partner came to after that stupid argument you vaguely remember any details about, yeah, it probably ain't the same on their end. According to the study's data, cannabis users are more likely to be withdrawn and negative amid conflict with significant others while also displaying 
a general lack of self-awareness. Even though I know it's probably true, I'm just going to pretend I never read it and hope Jasmine doesn't either. Why would I want to start another argument over nothing? Happy wife, happy life, right? Yes, let's continue. The goal of the joint study conducted by Rutgers and Mount Holyoke sociological researchers was to learn more about the direct effects of cannabis usage on romantic relationships. 146 couples with at least one consuming partner were included in the study, and they were interviewed individually and together about drug habits and relational uh, relationship satisfaction. Physiological stress responses were measured, recorded heart rates and respiration during a 10-minute discussion about each couple's biggest sources of conflict. Fun. Subjects were then asked to talk about common interest topics for five minutes uh, before rating their personal performances regarding the eventual resolutions. Footage of the couples was analyzed for physical cues, revealing tendencies to avoid responsibility by engaging in negative tactics like deflection, ignoring making unrealistic demands, criticizing, and blaming. Each conversation was then rated on a scale. Subjects who failed to constructively contribute to the conversation scored lower, while the ones who were more responsive showed signs of active listening and were willing to compromise scored higher. Speaking on the results, Jessica Salvatore, the study's author and associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, said, the assessments by the cannabis users were almost the exact opposite of what independent raiders found. What does that mean? The stoners pretty much got blown out by their prude counterparts. Not even close. Cannabis users were less flexible and less willing to compromise, but for some reason also reported a higher satisfaction with the argument outcomes. They also generally lacked the ability to recognize their own adverse engagements. Salvatore was sure to note her findings should not be used as endorsement against cannabis usage altogether, as many other studies have found cannabis also has a ton of positive relational benefits too, especially in one area we've covered extensively here on State of Cannabis News Hour. Y'all know what I'm talking about, sex. She did say of the study, however, it gives insight to how couples can better navigate conflict and come to a resolution. When you don't see the problems, you can't solve them. Well, Associate Professor Salvatore, I applaud your efforts in this study, too, um, but tend to review myself as more part of the solution than the problem itself. And if you don't really understand what I'm talking about or where I was going with that statement, I think we're just going to have to agree to disagree. That wasn't so bad, was it? What were, ta- what were we talking about again? Oh, yeah, this is Rico Lamite, dopest dad and husband on the street for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Interested in what the rest of the team thinks about this study. Rico, were you and Jasmine participants in this study? We were not. We get high together, man. We fly together. So I'm pretty sure we just like pass out, you know, after after arguments and shit like that. And um, yeah, just don't bring it up again. Yeah, this article is confusing to me because all of the the couples that I know that consume cannabis uh, are very happy couples. I don't know any unhappy couples where both of them consume cannabis. Is it because there's no real conflict resolution? <laughs> or are we saying that this is nothing more than prohibitionist propaganda? You know what? It's, it's funny you say that because I was worried about the skewed results as the story came from a notably conservative New York Post. But I was happy to find after source hunting um, on the piece, uh, it was actually pulled from a peer-reviewed scientific journal site, EurekaAlert.org. Uh, and the original study data can be found on science um, on the sciencedirect.com, including all of Salvatore's original notes and the study metrics. So um, it's pretty sound with, the, uh, with the, the data that they were using, and it wasn't skewed one way or the other. But um, I don't know. I, I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, the fact that the uh, study participants had such opposite views of the researchers, uh, I don't know what to make of that. No, it, it was it was a lot of um, mixed couples where like one um, participant consumed cannabis and the other one did not. So the um, the study subjects that were actually consuming, they thought that the argument went well. They thought it was resolved properly, but um, a lot of the um, the ones that stayed sober. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, this was never resolved. <laughs> well, the answer why, why is... Are good, why are you in such a good mood? <laughs> like, yeah, came. so the answer is everybody just needs to get high. Exactly. Okay, I get it. All right, let's keep smoking the news. Let's do it. A week and a half ago, the industry's longest continuously operating retailer packed his bags, gas up the private jet, was subsidized Russian jet fuel, and headed over to the UK. But he is back. And he's touched down on God's country once again. Jason Beck, what you got for us today, my man? Oh, yeah, Rico. Today, my story is still based in the EU. And for all you people that flunked math class, I'm going to do some conversions for you as well. Where cops smash a huge drug syndicate and seize 2,200 pounds of cannabis buds. A massive international drug syndicate linked to the most notorious cartels in the world has been broken up, police said in Spain. I seriously doubt that bullshit. More than 200 police officers took down the gang, seizing seizing huge quantities of drugs and breaking up drug labs. According to, to the reports, the gang is linked to the notorious dun, 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 Sinaloa cartel in Mexico, one of the most powerful drug trapping syndicates in the world. The Sinaloa cartel was famously headed by Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, who is now serving a life sentence in a U.S. prison, although intelligence officials question that. The operation was carried out by the Spanish National Police and the Spanish Tax Agency and was reported on Saturday. The operation resulted in the seizure of 1,000 kilograms. That's 2,205 pounds for all of you math whizzes out there, of marijuana buds and 37 kilograms, that's 82 pounds, of cocaine. It's also resulted in the dismantling of two laboratories where the drugs were processed and distributed, according to the police. Spanish authorities also seized three sub submachine guns, several pistols, and a luxury goods worth more than 6 million euros. That'd be 7.5 million. The organization had a structure of companies in Spain, Colombia, Switzerland, and Portugal to allegedly launder the money from its criminal activities. 13 addresses in Madrid and Guadalajara provinces were searched during the operation, which resulted in 24 suspects being arrested. The investigation that led to the arrest be <coughs> excuse me, began late in 2020 when several Mexican citizens from Sinaloa arrived in Madrid and quickly settled into luxury homes, police said. The new arrivals allegedly began to work on large marijuana plantations in Guadalajara province where they received repeated visits from people linked to drug trafficking. As the investigation progressed, the cops identified a family clan linked to the Mexican drug cartels that it had vested more than 10 million euros than 10.6 million. The suspects began to acquire several businesses and set up companies to channel the profits obtained from their sale of narcotic substances, investigators said. They also allegedly bribed officials so they could obtain residency documentation. The police said they found they were linked to people with criminal records for selling narcotics. Investigators said they also located several warehouses where the marijuana was vacuum packed and distributed to buyers hidden in false table bottoms and other furniture. 
The greenhouses where the marijuana was grown was over 4,000 square meters. And for those of you that can't do math, that's 43,056 square feet. And investigators said they also discovered South American mules had arrived in the country carrying cocaine paste. The drug was processed and packaged into laboratories in Madrid province to later sell to associates from Croatia and the Netherlands. The group had other distribution networks through Chinese citizens and other vendors in Madrid province who would who, who would inter, even introduce the narcotics into prisons, according to police, who also said the suspects would constantly change homes and attempt to keep a step ahead of them. They, who would also allegedly buy and sell jewelry and sports cars worth in excess of 500,000 euros, that's 620,000 U.S. dollars, in order to launder their illicitly obtained profits. The operation to apprehend the suspects was carried out mid in mid-May. Thirteen property searches were carried out in Madrid and Guadalajara provinces, and eight inspections were carried out in Madrid and, and Malgada provinces, and two greenhouses where marijuana was cultivated were dismantled, and 20 bank accounts were blocked. Well, I don't know what blocking a bank account necessarily does. You need to seize that shit. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Oh, man. Uh, I just have to say, so what? <laughs> kind of. I mean, these are the stories that we've been seeing for decades. Um, you smash one cartel, and then what it does is just creates a vacuum and a bunch of instability as other groups rush in to try to to uh, fill that that open space. So... It's uh, it's always interesting to read these stories where um, where these raids and 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 these efforts are presented as a victory because I think we know from looking at drug policy and uh, and these eradication and enforcement efforts over the years that uh, this doesn't achieve any long term effect. I'd agree with you, Medica. Um, I think prohibition does seem to create hydras, if you will, cut one head off. Two appear, and you have no idea how the uh, how bad the next one's going to be. But we're going to continue hearing all this shit, and they're probably going to be amplified as as more countries um, around the world be, um, um, continue legalization and decriminalization too. Right. I mean, this is just sort of an endless cycle of law enforcement spending that uh, doesn't do much to to change anything. It does scare people, though, and it makes people feel like the drugs are off the street, but. That was a lot they're of coke. Not. Jesus. <laughs> but they're not. <laughs> but they're not. No. It is all an illusion. Shall we keep Everything smoking? is an illusion until <laughs> you get woke the fuck up. Are you woke, Jason? No, yeah, I'm, not woke. Woke. No, I'm not the woke. Jason, that's the woke guy. I am, I, am, I am awake. <laughs> I am awake. There's a big difference between being wake and woke. Oh, God. The wokest of the woke, Jason. <laughs> coming next to the stage. It's our newest addition to the team is coming to the stage. She's a cannabis patient, plant medicine advocate, and Roz McCarthy's right-hand woman on the left coast for M4MM. Also the founder of Purple Plant Magic, national brand ambassador for Black Buddha Cannabis, and the Encyclopedia on Power 88 in Las Vegas every Wednesday. Coming up next to the stage, it's Nicole Buffon. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jason. What a great intro. I appreciate it. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my story today is South Africa's first Daha 
that's how they say it, not DAGA, DAHA, Growing Club heads to the high court nearly two years after police raid. Uh, published by Business Insider and written by Luke Daniel. The Hayes Club, which I'll refer to as THC um, in the rest of the article, was founded by Neil Lydell shortly after the Constitutional Court's landmark 2018 ruling, which decriminalized the private and personal use and cultivation of cannabis in South Africa. Members who paid a membership fee would send cannabis seeds to THC. These seeds would be barcoded and stored on the member's behalf. THC would then cultivate the seeds and grow the cannabis in the member's allotted rented private space. The plant, once fully matured in three months, would be harvested, dried, cured, packaged, and labeled for the member's collection or delivery. The club ran smoothly until October 2020 when police raided the premises, confiscating plants, tearing down grow equipment, and arresting Lydell. The states argue that the club didn't operate in a private space and therefore fell afoul of the law. But the club was only for members and was not open to the public. Lydell and his legal team before the Western Cape High Court on Monday will use the Constitutional Court's ruling to support their argument for the collective exer exercise of rights. His legal team said, the aim is to permit the collective exercise of rights, such as a community garden, grow club, etc., on the basis that not every person has the socioeconomic status to participate in a law of general application like that created by the Constitutional Court's ruling in 2018. The Cannabis Master Plan, focused on commercializing and industrializing the plant, hopes to tap into a 28 billion sector while providing employment for some 25,000 people. President Cyril Ramphosa, during his latest State of the Nation address in February, highlighted the huge potential for investment and job creation. But in January, arrested Rastafari and Daha Rev activist King Kohisan for growing cannabis plants outside the Union Building, their version of the White House. It will be interesting to see how this all plays out in South Africa. My name is Nicole Bofong, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I'd love to hear what my colleagues think about this story. I'm just interested to see more and more of these stories coming out of um, just of the African content, uh, continent. I know South Africa is uh, trying to move aggressively towards uh, their legalization goals, but there's going to be like a lot of backlash because um, uh, many of these countries, uh, many of these companies aren't from South Africa. Uh, they're not from African continent at all. And um, you can be looked at with the side eye, especially with the um, the history that's gone on in the continent and the rest of the uh, general Europe. And I know I've still... got no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Ross. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I know I've gotten in my LinkedIn in, in regards to my uh, messages I've gotten several um, national South Africans, and I'm assuming they're over in South Africa, and they're asking for assistance, and they're asking for funds, but, like, the assistance is, like, kind of at the very beginning, and what they're looking for is, like, $20 million, and I'm like, uh, I don't know what to tell you, like, I, you know, we, we're having access to capital, so I think there's a this, this willingness and this, um, you have, like, this uh, a body of folks that really want to get in the industry over there. I think there is a lack of maybe knowledge from a commercialization perspective and then also access to capital. So I think we're going to keep seeing things come out of South Africa. Um, I Hopefully, you know, uh, uh, the Chinese have gone into South Africa and they've taken over quite a bit in regards to on the, on the commercial side and business side. And I want them to be able to figure this out as a, as an economic enterprise and not someone else coming in and taking over the land and using the land to prosper and they're not being able to benefit. 
I mean, isn't, that, on, what, isn't that what China isn't that what China's doing in the first place, anyways? You, I know yeah, that you they want wrote, China to figure out the cannabis yeah. ec- economics. Are you? Yeah, I covered. I covered a story like on that. Um, I think like last year, I covered a story like exactly on that and how like the China Belt like pretty much um, brought China into the continent of Africa, and they wrote a bunch of fucking payday loans, and uh, that's why. Um, a lot of countries in in the continent opened up to green investments because you know the the bill came due and motherfuckers um, couldn't pay their bills. Yeah. So Jason, I wasn't saying no. I support it. I said I rather for the nationals, the 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 individuals that live in in the country, to be able to hone in on this economic opportunity and maximize it for themselves. I don't want you know um, outside nationals. I'm I'm working. You still there, Ross? Did we lose her? I'm I'm working with a, a, a Rastafarian organization in the Caribbean that stretches to the continent of Africa and in South Africa. We're working specifically with uh, Rastafari activists on the ground there as they lobby for legislation, making sure that they are involved in that process and they get a piece of the pie as well. So the work is being done on the ground and it is a slow trickle, but we have to watch this space because the government really will allow people to come in that that are not citizens of the country and buy their way into the marketplace and and we have to fight to make sure that that doesn't happen nicole would you tell hang on a second jason nicole would you tell the people that you're working with about the podcast because i think they could really benefit by listening to the show and i don't believe we have any listeners in africa yet absolutely make sure that they they get the link for sure. Thank you. Um, Roz, Roz, quick question for you. Yes. Um, have you have you verified that the people that reached out to you on LinkedIn are actually from South Africa and they're not just like Nigerian scammers trying to harvest cash? No, I, Jason, you 100 percent. It could it could be that. Let me tell you something, brother. When they ask me for 20 million dollars and I can't give them 20 dollars, I'm like, I just it's just funny how I get those type of messages. But you're absolutely right. It could be scammers trying to tap into, um, you know, seeing who's kind of moving things around. And I want to give a shout out to Duchess. She put in a chat in our in our chat and she said that the Canadians and the Israelis are the ones that really have infiltrated um, the continent as well as Lesotho. So uh, Lesotho, rather, I'm sorry. So thank you for sharing that information. I think we just should stay on top of it. But no, I'm with you, Jason. And it could be scammers. They're trying to to get uh, get a dollar out of me, and I or, or they're for sure scammers, Ross. For sure, they're scammers. Yep, 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 yep. I agree. I agree with you, Jason. Have you been approached by a uh, Ghanaian I, I get, uh, sugar mama I, looking l- looking to take care of your needs? Um, no, not not a Ghanaian sugar mama, but I, I know plenty of sugar mamas, and I totally support sugar mamas. They're sweet, and and their efforts. <sighs> Can we smoke some more news, please? <laughs> Let's. She's a Northern California-based <laughs> California pot-smoking PhD, remaining perpetually optimistic in the midst of cannabis chaos. Coming to the stage next is a political economist and the founder of Mahajan Consulting. Medica Mahajan, what you got for us today? Thank you, Rico. Good morning, everyone. Today, I'm bringing you a headline from the California Globe. This is by Laura Houther. And the headline reads, San Bernardino County's approach to eradicating illegal cannabis may go statewide. The author characterizes California's approach to handling its sizable unlicensed market as two-pronged. 
on, on one hand, the state is increasing civil penalties for illegal cultivation, and on the other, easing the path to participating in the licensed market. Hmm. Sticks and carrots. And now some state legislators are trying to increase the size of the sticks. San Bernardino County, San Bernardino County ordinances apply to unlicensed growing, making, distributing, delivering, and selling products, and to renting out land to unlicensed cannabis operations. Fines range from $1,000 to $10,000 for repeated offenses. Property owners could be fined as much as $10,000 a day and bear the costs of cleaning up after the farms are raided. The county also claims that the fine money it collects will be used for cleanup. Those convicted of running an illegal dispensary or distributing could also face jail time in San Bernardino County. Quote, California law on cannabis crimes lacks serious penalties, said San Bernardino Supervisor Don Rowe in a press release. If someone grows seven, 700 or 70,000 cannabis plants without a license, the punishment is all the same. It's a misdemeanor. State law needs real punishments to eliminate large-scale illegal cannabis farms or rural Californians will continue to suffer, end quote. So now San Bernardino is sponsoring California Assemblyman Thurston Smith's bill, AB 2728, hoping to take the county approach statewide. AB 2728 would increase the civil penalty from three times to four times the existing license fee for each day of illegal operation. In an interview with KVCR News, Smith said, quote, the biggest problem is the penalties that they're assessing right now are a drop in the bucket to the illegal marijuana gross, his word. These guys are making millions and hundreds of millions of dollars, end quote. Smith's bill would apply a graduated series of fines starting at $500 per plant up to $2,500 per, per plant for repeated violations, topping out at $30,000. Each day constitutes a separate violation. And although this is mostly a stick, there is one small carrot in all this. If the proper paperwork is submitted and the license fee is paid in full within 10 business days of the civil penalties issuance, the penalties would be waived. Anyone who submitted a state license application knows that is a pretty tight turnaround for the volume of paperwork and com complex approvals that are required. AB 2728 passed the assembly 66 to zero on May 19th and the bill was ordered to the state Senate. Smith had also sponsored a bill to reinstate felony penalties for illegal cultivation, but thankfully, in my opinion, much of the California legislature refuses to back bills reminiscent of a war on drugs approach that would put more people in prison. Smith's colleague, Assemblyman Reggie Jones-Sawyer, a Democrat from Los Angeles, represents an area just south of downtown LA, sponsored AB 2102, a bill that would impose a fine of up to 30,000 per violation for anyone allowing illegal cultivation on their property, on open land and inside buildings. AB 2102 passed the assembly by a vote of 76 to zero on May 25th and is also in the hands of the Senate now. Jones-Sawyer told Cannabis Wire, quote, not only do these operators underquote the, the legal market, but their operations pose a grave threat to public safety, end quote. Both legislators believe enforcement and fines are effective tactics, but, and the article's author appears to agree, claiming that San Bernardino's approach has yielded results, that the number of illegal grows is down by 40% from last year. In my study on the effectiveness of drug policy, I personally haven't seen evidence that these types of efforts achieve much in the long run, as we were just talking about in the previous story on the international level, but now we're talking, you know, kind of more local. But when one county crack, cracks down, the activities just move somewhere else. And some drug policy experts call this the balloon effect. So if you squeeze a balloon on one end, the air moves, but it definitely doesn't disappear. 
Similarly, criminalization can simply cause operators to relocate or get better at operating underground. Actually, ending unlicensed activities takes deeper structural fixes. So these tactics tend to boost law enforcement budgets and candidate platforms, but do very little to change the political and economic factors that incentivize unlicensed cannabis activities in the first place. What do you think? Should San Bernardino County's approach become our statewide approach? Will this shift the imbalance between licensed and unlicensed operations? I'm Menika Mahajan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Menika, what do, what do you think uh, would happen if a lot of these folks couldn't pay the fines and then what? You know, you can impose fines, but like, didn't Helios Day, Day Spring, wasn't he unable to pay his fines? This approach is criminal. I mean, they're talking about um, a misdemeanor not being enough and wanting to reinstate felonies, some of these these bills sponsors. So, you know, you can kind of guess which way they're they're trying to take drug policy once again. It's a mess. Mm-hmm. Everything everything in San Bernardino is a mess and always has been a mess. And I don't know why anyone would expect anything different from that county. Well, now they want to mess up the whole state, Jason. Hold on. The state's already been messed up, Susan. You, it's just getting messed oh, up right. more. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thanks. it would be a step backwards. Mm. We need solutions. We need some leadership. This is getting ridiculous. It's been ridiculous. So would you say that um, Gavin Newsom is uh, not going in the right direction, Susan? Is that what you want to say? I don't want to go on the record he, saying that. He just got reelected. <laughs> oh, yeah. He got reelected. Free, got free <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Who voted? I did. I did. I'm, ra- I'm raising my hand. I voted. I did. Good. Well, en- enough of all of that. Wait, Here hold on. Have- Wait, wait, what? wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relight the rooms. Hold on. Okay, go ahead. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Often the things expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. Oh, yeah. Political strategist by day, baker by night, a true female multitasker who can not only bake up a storm, but also knows how to make the sausage on Capitol Hill. She's the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington Insider. Taking off the apron today, it's Gretchen Gailey. Thank you for that, Jason. Uh, my headline today is coming from our favorite father, Reefer Mattis, Joe Biden. White House intern applicants will be asked about marijuana. Biden administration clarifies. This is coming from Marijuana Moment. Uh, despite repeated calls to stop penalizing staffers for being honest about past marijuana use, the Biden administration made clear on Monday that people who want to even intern at the White House will be required to disclose prior drug use including any cannabis consumption that was legal under state law, and they could be denied eligibility over it. Intern applicants who advance through the hiring process will have to fill out a security clearance form, according to a new FAQ, for the White House internship program. Information submitted through that form could affect eligibility, includes past drug use, including marijuana, regardless of whether the marijuana use was permitted under state law. Early in his administration, the Biden White House came under sharp criticism 
over reports that staffers were being terminated or otherwise penalized for admitting to using marijuana as part of a background check process. The newly posted FAQ's clarification on cannabis reaffirms that the White House under Biden continues to view prior marijuana use as grounds for ineligibility to work in the executive branch, even at the intern level. Marijuana Moment reached out to the White House for comment, but a representative did not immediately respond. President Joe Biden has long opposed the legalization of cannabis. Minutes after Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and colleagues unveiled a much-anticipated draft marijuana legalization bill last year, then White House Press Detective Secretary Jen Psaki reiterated that the president hasn't changed his position on maintaining federal prohibition. During his presidential campaign in 2020, Biden did run on a pledge to enact modest reforms, such as decriminalizing cannabis possession, expunging prior records, and respecting the rights of states to set their own laws. Since taking office, however, his administration has not made progress on any of those promises and has instead fired its own White House staffers over marijuana and sought to extend a budget provision that has blocked Washington, D.C. from legalizing cannabis sales. Saki previously attempted to minimize the fallout of the White House personnel policy without much success, and her office also stressed that nobody was fired for marijuana usage from years ago, nor has anyone been terminated due to casual or infrequent use during the prior 12 months. However, she consistently declined to speak to the extent to which staff have been suspended or placed in a remote work program because they were honest about their history with marijuana on the federal background check form. I think this is just one more red flag for those of you who still think that Joe Biden is going to care at all about cannabis. They have no interest whatsoever in passing cannabis reforms. Joe Biden, King of Reefer Madness, this is Gretchen for State of Cannabis News Hour. Gretchen, did, go get him. Gretchen, did they spell, did he spell marijuana with an H? <laughs> well, this is coming from uh, the reporters, uh, but no, it appears they used a J in their uh, in their FAQ. I am shaking my head. Come <laughs> on, Joe. What the to, fuck? Yeah, he's why? trying to lose this shit, Susan. It's exactly why there's going to be a major red wave come November scraping the country. But it's going to be blood in the water. People no who are volunteering, really, Joe Biden? Really? Oh my God. He, he want, he want oh my God. I do have a question for you, Susan, and for those out there who also think that the cannabis voting block is real. Say, you know, good old, you know, Donald Trump comes back and says he will legalize fully. Would you vote for him? <laughs> no. No. That's right. So you're not a single issue cannabis voter I am after not a all. Issue after all that. I am not. No, but there are plenty. But I'm saying that there are a lot. There are. No, there's not. Give me a yes, there is. Yeah, there yes, there is. No. Yo, no. No. If, if we're no. real cannabis stewards, if there's a presidential candidate that comes to the table and says, "I am legalizing cannabis." I'm honestly going to be disappointed if we don't vote for that candidate. We didn't vote for Bernie Sanders. I'm voting for any candidate that that promises to legalize marijuana at the federal level because a president legalizing at the federal level could potentially, like, full legalization, decrim, avoids the potentiality of the pharmaceutical industry having control. And that is bad for all of us. Yeah, it depends what that Bernie was going to legalize. Bernie was going to legalize, and we didn't. But vote Bernie's for him. a socialist. 
I, I wouldn't vote. I wouldn't vote. I wouldn't vote for Trump. Anybody else? Anybody else but Trump? Quick See? question, Gretchen. Quick question, Gretchen. Uh, do you have any idea why Biden is so afraid to have even people who are using cannabis medicinally in his White White House? I, I don't know why he's so concerned about um, the White House staff. I do know that he is not a fan of cannabis because of his son's prior drug use. And, I, and I've talked to many uh, lawmakers on the Hill before who also have concerns over uh, loved ones who have had some form of drug use, even if it's not cannabis, they lump it all together. And that's why they just say no to all drugs. I think if, if Donald Trump actually runs on pro-cannabis and reparations, he'll win in a, land, in a landslide. Oh yeah! Talk to your boy, Jason. Why are we? <laughs> why? Why are we talking about a ridiculous hypothetical? It's not, it's That's not a hypothetical because Trump's coming back. He's going to be your 2024 presidential nominee. And Donald but, Trump is all about the hype, and he is, pathetic. and he's all about the bread, and you got to follow the money. <laughs> And we he'll say staffers. anything to get a little bit. I will say this. We need staffers and I'm a- experts within the executive branch who actually consume cannabis to actually have meaningful and reasonable reform. We need to just remember- fire them all. I think the GOP is turning away from cannabis, not not going towards it. So I that is fake news, Susan. No, <laughs> that Jason's is fake news. We'll see. We'll see yeah. tomorrow. We'll see tomorrow. Hold on, hold on, hold on, one second. Here we go. So I remember in 2015, I was out at the um, at the the cannabis fair out in D.C., and I was talking with a number of different local activists, and I was telling them how Trump was going to win and Trump was going to legalize cannabis, and every single one of them. No, how can you say that? Anybody but him. No, 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 no. It was fucking hysterical. He had his chance. He didn't do it. Okay, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Let's keep it moving. He didn't do a lot of shit, but he, he said he did. He, <laughs> hey, we had, we had better gas. We had better gas prices. We had a much better economy. Just saying. Okay, let's keep smoking. Let's keep smoking the news. All right. Can we, can we Susan? You go on, Rico. I mean, yeah, sure. I just, uh, you know, Jason likes evolving messaging, say whatever you have to say <laughs> to get elected. And I don't think that's going to work this time. What? No, Susan, what I actually like is I like the kabuki theater of politics because I understand it like a telenovela. Kabuki theater. Up next. This attorney at law focuses on cannabis entertainment and psychedelics while doing a phenomenal job documenting her adventures in each lane on social media through her verily and through her very appropriately titled podcast, Shall We Toke? Coming to the stage next, Shalina Panu. What you got for us today? Thanks so much, Rico. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is Thailand decriminalizes cannabis but says no smoking in public. As reported by The Guardian and Bloomberg, starting tomorrow, Thursday, June 8th, 2022, Thailand will officially decriminalize cannabis slash hemp plants from its narcotics list. As such, it will no longer be considered a criminal act to use parts of the cannabis slash hemp plant. Cultivation and production of the plant will be allowed by farmers and even companies. However, they may not produce cannabis with more than 0.2% THC. Medical cannabis uh, can be offered to patients throughout Thailand clinics for treating different illnesses. Further, restaurants and cafes will be allowed to serve cannabis-infused meals and drinks. However, it must only contain less than 0.2% of THC. If there's anything higher than that limit, a person will face criminal consequences as recreational use of the plant is still not allowed. 
The Guardian reports that if an individual is found smoking for recreational purposes, they will be facing fines and even long jail sentences. Further, the uh, Deputy Department Secretary of the Public Health Ministry told Thai media that smoking in public is considered a public nuisance. He states that the Department of Health will, Health will issue an announcement determining that the smell and smoke from cannabis and hemp is a cause of nuisance under the Public Health Act. Thailand's deputy prime minister and head of health ministry is attempting to boost the country's economy via agriculture and allowing farmers to grow their own cannabis for medical purposes in order for farmers to make additional income and also to attract tourists to their country. However, if a person is attempting to cultivate for recreational purposes, one must alert authorities of their intent and must receive a permit to do so from the government. Let's not forget that the government also encourages the growing of cannabis as they announce their campaign to distribute one million cannabis seedlings throughout their country. Country. Removing cannabis from Thailand's narcotics list is also a huge win for those convicted of cannabis-related crimes, as this will now open the doors for cases to be dismissed and or erased. Currently, Thailand's parliament is considering a new draft law on cannabis control that also includes production and commercial use details. Further, advocates are pushing for a cannabis sandbox where there is a limited area that allows for recreational uses. Uh, cities that have been suggested for these sandboxes is, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, uh, Fuck It or Fuck It, um, Koi, Sumui, and Krabi. And then Thailand is also attempting to legalize in casinos, which in turn could draw in billions of dollars via tourism. This combined with cannabis could make Thailand an even bigger lucrative tourist hotspot, aside from just their heaven-like beaches. What are your thoughts on Thailand decriminalizing cannabis and their no public smoking? My name is Shalina, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I thought the country was uh, legalizing it so that they could have a boost in tourism for economic recovery. This isn't going to help tourism if nobody can smoke. And they're doing it wrong. Everyone needs to be like New York. And if nobody can smoke, and you can't consume cannabis with more than 0.2% THC in it. So what's the point? <laughs> You're smoking hemp. Right? I mean... So, does it make it easier to bring your own weed to Thailand? I wonder. If you claim that, it I mean, if they're, if they're smoking hemp, at least at least they'll be uh, cutting down on the cigarette smoking. Just tell them it's hemp. No matter what it is, tell them it's hemp. Nobody wants to go to Thailand and smoke Thai hemp weed. They want to go to Thailand and smoke a Thai stick with opium. And they want to smoke it. <laughs> I think people have been smoking Thai sticks over in Thailand for a long time. I know I have. And not just cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I think the restrictions are ridiculous. And if they want to increase um, cannabis tourism, which we've already read is a, a, a billion dollar industry, then they just need to have no restrictions. Just let people consume the plant in whatever form they want. I'm going to quickly say it, there may be concern about those um, toxins being generated with combustion. So that's that's part of it. Right, but the whole point was for tourism, I thought. No one's worried about that combustion ridiculousness. All right. no smoke smoke from your private balcony. Yeah, that's right. Smoking from private balconies yeah. and rooftop patios, baby. No, no, create a consumption lounges that somehow mitigate the smoke, just like you would in a cigar lounge. Like, there's ways. Create create safe spaces on beaches. Create solutions. Didn't they Don't say, create problems. Didn't they say that the tourism industry, was it the tourism industry as a whole was going to create $17 billion uh, next year? Or was that the, in the United States? Does anyone remember who had that story? Was that a Biden economic talking general, point? That was the 
news in general um, is that cannabis tourism is increasing and a growing marketplace globally. Okay. And that's, you know, that's really quickly. I mean, I think over the next five, 10 years, it's going to just blow up if, if we can travel. But uh, let's keep smoking the news. All right. Well, coming up next, this beard was born and bred in New York. Maybe that's why this beard commands such a presence, because, baby, it's cold outside. So cold that the beard was compelled to move to sunny Long Beach, California, where the beard received a law degree, known in the bar exam as the Brandon Beard Award for high scores. This intellectual IP attorney and CEO of Fruit Slabs is none other than Brandon Dorsky. Let's go, Brandon. What do you have for us today? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, today, my headline comes from Marijuana Moment. It's U.S. mayors approve resolution demanding Congress fix marijuana banking issues and end prohibition. The U.S. Conference of Mayors, an organization representing U.S. mayors, adopted a resolution that encourages Congress to pass a bill to safeguard banks that work with state legal cannabis businesses from federal penalties. The latest resolution on banking supports a federal legalization bill, but focuses on cannabis banking reform. Last year, the organization adopted a measure calling for an end federal cannabis prohibition and promoting social equity. But this new measure notes the conflict between state laws and federal illegality of cannabis and acknowledges that, quote, cannabis companies are unable to access banking services that financial institutions and insurers offer to other businesses due to the potential for severe criminal and civil penalties that force operators to conduct business on a largely cash-only basis which makes them a target for crime. Mayors from Tacoma, Washington, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and Henderson, Nevada sponsored the resolution for the organization. It said, quote, now therefore be it resolved that the United States Conference of Mayors urges Congress to pass the Safe Banking Act of 2021 to provide financial security for cannabis dispensaries and related companies and enhance public safety. The Conference of Mayors also threw support behind the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act, also known as the Moore Act, and the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act. In 2018, the same organization said the federal government should remove cannabis from the list of controlled substances and called for expungement of past marijuana convictions. And in 2013, the group approved a resolution demanding that the federal government respect local cannabis laws. The article overall acknowledged other organizations that have lobbied for federal change, including the National League of Cities, the National Association of Counties, and the National Conference of State Legislatures, as well as the Conference of State Bank Supervisors, who separately have put pressure on Congress to pass marijuana banking reform. The article also noted that the standalone Senate version of the Safe Banking Act currently has 42 co-sponsors, including nine Republicans, and that a quarter of all senators sent a bipartisan letter this month urging that cannabis banking be included in the final bill. The nonpartisan Cannabis Regulators Association also sent a letter to congressional leaders outlining areas of concern for states' marijuana markets under current federal prohibition. That coalition represents 40 states and territories, and their letter explained to Congress what the current lack of access to traditional financial services and products means to them and the regulatory bodies. The article did acknowledge that there are groups that do not believe safe banking will provide the relief it purports to provide, including the Cannabis Regulators of Color Coalition, who believe the Safe Banking Act is insufficient. They feel there should be provisions added related to predatory lending and promote loan availability to disadvantaged groups. There's actually a lot more history on reform efforts in this article, 
But the overall gist is that this mayor group is continually applying pressure for federal change. And I hope that they are ultimately successful in getting that change pushed through. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. But wait, there's more. We've got some breaking news from Marijuana Moment. Community banks from 44 states demand Congress urgently pass marijuana financial services fix. That's right. Pass safe banking. Uh, you know what? I'm actually glad you had a, a balanced approach to this um, a story. Uh, Brandon and didn't go for all that uh, that fear mongering that we hear like oh it's it's killing people and all that shit because all those people saying that you know safe banking uh, not being passed is 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 causing people to be killed and everything you can say the same thing about gun legislation and uh, if you don't want those people to be murdered in the in the fucking hood how don't you pass some common sense gun laws and go protect them as just as much as safe banking will? What would you suggest would be a common sense gun law, Rico? I'm from the south. I don't think you want to hear my uh, my response to that. <laughs> Uh, I, I would love to. I mean, that's why I asked. Everybody should be trained to actually use a fucking gun and they should go through some kind of course, just like you have to um, learn how to use a, a fucking automobile. You should be able to do the same. So, and so, they so should so carry insurance. Of, they should carry insurance also. Yep. It, 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 should, it should be part of the educational curriculum of elementary school students, junior high students, what's your thoughts? Why? Why? Switzerland does does it and they they don't have any fucking mass shootings. Bam! Booyakasha. I mean... They actually actually value education in that country, though. Uh, Something that your boy Donald Trump does not. Just saying. Oh, you know that's fake news. (laughs) He loves his uneducated people. (laughs) I'm tripping off with Jason talking about Booyakasha. What the hell? It's Booyakasha. Oh my God! <laughs> Jason just came back. From, have you, have, you, back have you never London. seen? He's been, he's been hanging out with all the Jamaicans in London. <laughs> you've never yeah, seen. You've never seen Ali G. He's on one. No, I have not. But let's keep smoking the news. Let me get my story in, man. So, <laughs> so yeah. We're done. Oh my God! <laughs> all right. So up next. <laughs> This, this well-known and revered industry OG, veteran, dope dad, and defender of the culture is never hesitant to speak up for the industry's legacy. Come to the stage next, the co-founder. Wait, 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 wait. Gee's not on the stage. Where's he at? He's MIA. I got, I got Gee. We're going to have to go rescue him. No, he, he had I a road... Hope- he had a road emergency. I'm going by the spreadsheet. I apologize. All right, so this entrepreneurial boss lady pulls down head honcho <laughs> duties for the ultimate lifestyle brand, Black Buddha Cannabis, while maintaining dual titles for six years now as the founder and CEO of Minorities for Medical Marijuana at the same damn time. Coming to the stage next and bringing us some wonderful news is Roz McCarthy. What you got for us today, Roz? Hello, hello, hello. I'm bringing you news from Connecticut. So uh, this is coming from the Connecticut Mirror. Um, it's, it's so, it's, it's such an article that makes me want to pull my hair out because it's silly, but you have political opponents going back and forth about a song. So let me let me tell you what, what, what it's talking about. So Lamont, Lamont is the governor for Connecticut. Uh, Lamont's tweet about satirical tune gets seri- serious rebuke from Stefanowski. 
So um, Connecticut's country song mentions marijuana and internet gambling, and that becomes a huge issue. Governor Ned Lamont tweeted of an 18-second snippet from a satirical country song that bemoans the difficulty of rhyming anything with Connecticut while mentioning marijuana and internet gambling as among its blessings. Has Republican Bob Stefanowski singing the blues? To be precise, Stefanowski's gubernatorial campaign released a letter Tuesday. This is crazy. Which he asked the Attorney General, the Attorney General, General William Tong, to investigate whether the governor's tweet violates a state law regulating cannabis advertising, or if state money was used to produce an accompanying video. The letter raises several questions, including whether Stefanowski or anyone on his campaign has listened to the full three minute and 45 second of the song, first ever Connecticut country song, or just the 18 second excerpt. It's also, it also is a reminder of the headaches that social media accounts can produce for elected officials, especially when satire is involved. The offending portion accompanied in the tweet by the video produced by the governor's office comes nearly three minutes into the tune. Singer-songwriter Rusty Gear outlines reasons why Connecticut should be immortalized and country lyrics other than cuz it's really hard to rhyme. So here's the lyrics. Back at home, we thank the governor for the blessings that we got. We came, we, we can gamble, we can gamble on the internet, and it's cool to smoke some pot. And so y'all come visit my state and mind your etiquette. I guarantee you'll be welcome in Connecticut. And this is the BS these folks are going back and forth on. So in this letter, Tong says, Stefan, well, in his letter to Tong, Stefanowski asked whether taxpayer dollars were used to produce this 18-second video or whether its reference to marijuana being legal in Connecticut could be construed as a violation of the portion of the Public Act 21-1 relating to advertising. The governor's office and any state agencies responsible for this video should immediately disclose to the public the amount of taxpayer dollars spent to produce the video promoting drug use in Connecticut, Stefanowski wrote. If the governor wants to talk about Connecticut etiquette, perhaps he should start by avoiding using his platform without, the re without regard for the underage audience he influences. Mac Rice, uh, um, Mac Rice, the communications director for the governor, said no state funds were spent, but acknowledged that the governor's office staff did produce the video that matched footage of Lamont with a portion of the song thanking the governor for blessings that include marijuana and gambling. It's a cute song. It's satirical, said House Minority Leader Vincent uh, Candelora. Um, Republican from North Brantford, but he added he was shocked to see a, a gubernatorial tweet about the blessings of legal gambling and marijuana. So this goes on going back and forth, back and forth on um, on going on back and forth on this this song. Um, it's a satire. Um, I'll stop right here. I would love to hear from my colleagues. Do you think he was wrong for tweeting about the song? Do you think the government was wrong about creating a song? They mentioned pot. Yes, maybe young people may be able to hear that that song out in public. Um, I'm Roz McCarthy signing off for, uh, for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Would love to hear your comments or anyone in the audience. The thing that bothered me about this this situation is that they're running against each other. And Stefanowski has a habit of using law enforcement or the attorney general to do his dirty work to get ahead in the campaign. And that, you know, that's not ethical. Right. Yeah. It I just mean, seems so like another it just seems like another uh, um, another instance of Kabuki theater. It's Kabuki. 
Rico. It's Kaboofy. Ka- well, Kaboofy. Well, I guess I guess the, the issue right now is again the issue is they created this song, <laughs> which is kind of corny, but it's a satire. They utilized government funding to create it, and it had cannabis in it. And because and we see this in a lot of different states, the the what you can't market, you can't have the word cannabis. I don't know how California. When I'm out there on the West Coast, I see all the billboards with you know uh, with marketing all the different cannabis companies. I don't know how you guys do it, but a lot of states. You can't say anything, and you can't put anything out on a public radio, and so I think that's where the issue is. And so the his opponent is is basically trying to um, characterize him as you know being mis- um, misappropriating and also um, not taking in consideration of young ears that may hear this song. Yeah, I think we're. I just think we're lucky out out here, even though we complain about our advertising and marketing laws. Um, it could be worse. We could be on the East Coast. Back home, we thank the governor for the blessings that we got. We can gamble on the internet and it's cool to smoke some pot. So y'all come visit my state and mind your etiquette. I guarantee you'll be welcome. That was so funny that, that he was like, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to rhyme with Connecticut. I'll tell you what. After hearing that song, I'm totally down to go pay a visit to connect. Yeah, that that shit that shit slaps. I'm fucking playing. Were you that dancing? In, I'm playing that in the car today on the ride home. I was over here. Doing, I was over here doing the gritty. <laughs> But maybe this is a good thing. I mean, maybe if if this isn't becomes not a big deal, if it's okay to do this in Connecticut, they are advertising pot. So maybe it's opening the window this for more awesome. ladies. You can't find a door. Yeah, right. You can't find a door. Yeah, There's always a window. Awesome. Let's let's celebrate it and support it. Play right? the song, Susan. Play the song. Thank the governor for the blessings that we got. We can gamble on the internet and it's cool to smoke some pot. So y'all come visit my state and mind your etiquette. I guarantee you'll be welcome in Connecticut. I love that the state of Connecticut says that it's cool to smoke pot. I think it's a a cute little song. I mean, I think, yeah, I can see why the guy wants to find an issue. He's just trying to find an issue to pick a fight, I think. Um, The the, the last part of the article did ask if the governor of the gubernatorial um, candidate, if he is a supporter of um, cannabis uh, legalization, and there was a no comment. So I'm sure, this is the funny part, I'm sure he may be at home and has his little stash and does his relaxed time, and he's using this as a opportunity to get you know, to be the new governor for the state of Connecticut. I think he's going to reach out to the West Coast if he's looking for um, some things to rhyme with Connecticut. I got some ideas for him. (laughs) I'm sure you do. So Lamont, anybody, does does the Connecticut have good weed? No, it doesn't. It's it's, it's garbage. I've smoked it and it's fucking horrible. Absolutely horrible. When I pull up to Connecticut, there's only the best weed in the world there. Big shout out to Steve. Big shout out to Steve Bloom who set me up with a little bit of uh, that New York fire. Yay, Steve Bloom. So is this a Republican? (laughs) Is Lamont is Lamont a Democrat and and Stefanowski a Republican? Yeah. yeah, There you go, Jason. There you go. There you go. Well, we about the political (laughs) antics. It means nothing. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, we're at the top of the hour and that was a really great show. If you missed any of it, you can catch it on anywhere you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Come on, you guys. We're about to hit 10,000 downloads. Get, Get it. 
get it today. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show and our pinup girl, Jaja Simone Brown. Thank you, audience, for being an important part of our show. You've had your daily dose. Now go out there and make a difference. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. Bye. You better, you better get to Connecticut. Get ahead of it in Connecticut. <laughs> wow. He's on it. Happy hump day. You are. <laughs> Where's the bed springs? Where's the bed springs, Susan? Oh, shit. Okay, here we go. Fucking Wednesday. Oh, yeah. Hey, what are you still doing here? The show's over. You just don't want to leave, do you? I know. We love you, too. Help us grow by grabbing some of our merch. We've got hats, bags, hoodies, water bottles, all the standards. It would really mean a lot. Go to justsaycare.org backslash shop today. Really, I mean it. Today, with the supply chain issues, you might get it by Christmas. The good news is that inflation will be so bad, you'll be locked into a low, low price. Remember, justsaycare.org. Thanks. Okay, go listen to another podcast. Bye.